Well, the little boy only had two lines in the whole church play. He'd practiced so hard. He'd been working on them forever. And Leslie, wherever Leslie went, this did not happen at all last Sunday night, by the way, what I'm fixing to tell you about. But this little guy, he'd practiced so hard, and he walked out on the stage. All he had to say, his two lines were, It is I, do not be afraid. And he had it down cold. But when he walked out on the stage and he looked out and he saw the church full of people, he said, it's me and I'm scared. <laughs> you know that feeling of fear, don't you? The hair on the back of your neck stands up, for some of you. You get goosebumps on your arms, your mouth feels like it's full of cotton, your palms are as damp as wet sponges. That's what fear does, Right? Fear is real and powerful. Here's what happens in a nanosecond in your body. Our five senses and, um, and uh, send a message, uh, a message of danger to our brain's thalamus, which then sends the message to the, the I don't even know how to say this word, the amygdala. The amygdala does two things. One, it sends a message to the prefrontal cortex saying help, which initiates that flight or fight response. And two, the amygdala sends messages to the glands in your body to start releasing chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Those chemicals raise our heartbeat and blood pressure so we're ready for, to make the choice, fight or flight. And again, all that happens in about a nanosecond. Without thinking, we react. That's just how powerful this impulse, this reality of fear is. And on the one hand, that split-second reaction might just save our life when we immediately jump backwards to avoid, say, an oncoming truck as we're stepping out onto a street. But on the other hand, fear might ruin or at least greatly diminish our life when we react negatively or carnally without thinking in fear. There's an article in the Scientific American, Factoring Fear, What Scares Us and Why. And the author of that article said this, Fear is as basic a human process as breathing or digestion, yet science's ability to completely understand and describe it remains elusive. That is the $64,000 question, Lewis says, noting that despite more than 100 studies into how the body reacts to fear, there is still no way to quantify fear itself. We all experience it, and yet science can't fully explain what's going on. Let me ask you something this morning. What are you afraid of today? Is it job security that's on your mind this Christmas Eve? Maybe it's a business deal. Stuff with your kids? That's this whole world of fear, isn't it, parents? Maybe it's your marriage. 
Our list could go on and on. It's, it's interesting. Life expectancy has doubled in the last 100 years. There's never been a healthier group of people in the world than those of us that live in first world countries today. And yet, there's never been a group of people as worried and fearful about their own health as we are. David Jeremiah says, Satan loves to blow up our fears into crisis-sized proportions so we are afraid that not even God is big enough to rescue us. What are you afraid of this morning? Maybe you're thinking, Chad, I don't even want to talk about it because today's supposed to be a day all about Christmas cheer. Don't you know that, preacher? Why all this talk about fear? Let me ask you a question. How much of our Christmas cheer is only a numbing drink or the anesthetic of stuff, toys, presents, money, wish, or maybe just even wishful thinking that simply tries to temporarily ignore the fears that are still ravaging our heart in the middle of our Christmas cheer? You see, I want you to go through this Christmas celebration with genuine, real, and life-changing Christmas cheer that comes straight from the Christ of Christmas. Tim Keller said, the world is a dark place. And yet the coming of Jesus Christ shows us no one and no thing is hopeless. I want to talk to you this morning about our greatest fear and Christmas cheer. You can remember at least the title of this sermon, surely. Our greatest fear and Christmas cheer. We're going to be in in several different passages, but here's the truth I want you to take home. Real Christmas cheer is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with unending joy by his grace. Real Christmas cheer is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with unending joy by his grace. Now, I want you to follow the logic. I want to lay out the basic logic for the rest of the message for you, and I want you to track with me. Here's the deal. If our greatest fear can be dealt with, then all of our lesser fears will be put in proper perspective Because we know that we can trust the same God who's dealt with our worst fear to handle our lesser fears. Did y'all track with me on that logic? If God's got the big one, he can handle all the little ones. Amen? And so what I want you to see and what you to become convinced of this morning is that in the coming of Christ, he's done just that. He's handled our worst fears. Fear, and therefore there is nothing that we have to fear. Real Christmas cheer is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with the unending joy of his grace. I want you to see three truths that prove this to us this morning. First of all, Jesus came to destroy the devil and our fear of death. What is Christmas? It's the coming of Jesus. We've been using the word Advent, which means the coming. 
Christmas is the first coming of Jesus. Jesus being born in a Bethlehem cave, laid in a, in a, rocky, in a, in a rocky manger, a feeding trough. But what's happening in that historic event? Jesus came to destroy the devil and our fear of death. Where do we get that? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children, that is humanity, us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That's incarnation talk. That's Christmas language, right? Jesus partook in flesh and blood. When? On that night in Bethlehem when he was born of the Virgin Mary. God became man. God the Son became one of us. He shared in flesh and blood, as the text says. So, the text goes on, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why, did he, why was he born of a, of a virgin? To help the angels? No, to help you and I. Humanity, to serve us. How so? Number one, by destroying the devil. And number two, by setting us free, who are all of our lives held bondage to the fear of death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says it this way. The reason the Son of God appeared, again, how did he appear? When did he appear? In Bethlehem. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. Jesus came. He was born to a teenage virgin girl in a shepherd's cave to destroy the one who has the power of death, that text says. That is the devil. You see, Satan's strategy is to keep us in an endless cycle of sin that leads to condemnation, that leads to despair, that leads into more sin. Satan wants to keep us in that cycle. Have you been there? Have you been trapped in that cycle? Do you remember? And maybe it wasn't too long back. And that cycle starts over again. And all the while that we're cycling through sin, condemnation, despair, sin, condemnation, despair, we are living in fear of death. This is our worst fear. Well, how? How does all this work? How does Jesus destroy the devil and our fear of death? That's what he came to do. Well, notice with me secondly this morning, Jesus sets us free from the fear of death through the cross and his resurrection. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus himself said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price required to purchase back from slavery those who've been captured and enslaved by sin. To break the cycle of sin and condemnation and despair. To, 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 to rip from the prison of the fear of death those who were being held there by even Satan himself. 
John Piper says, Jesus became man because what was needed was the death of a man who was more than man. The incarnation was God's locking himself into death row. What happened on that first Christmas morning? What happened in the birth of Christ? Jesus was committed. He was born and committed to go all the way down the path the Father laid out to him, straight to the cross. And as one of us, in flesh and blood, feeling and experiencing all that we experience, hanging on that tree and dying there for you and for me. Hebrews 2 Verse 17 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Again, that's incarnation language. That's Bethlehem talk, right? He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. Jesus sets us free from the fear of death through the cross and through his resurrection. He had to die in our place. In order to die in our place, he had to become one of us. That's why he came. And there on the cross, he became the, the propitiation for our sins. You say, man, that's, that's one of those big theological words. I'm not really into theology, preacher. Well, you need to get into this much theology at least. Propitiation is an important word. And, and here's the idea. It's not just that God sees what Jesus did on the cross, that he was willing to, to die, and he said, you know what? That, 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 son, you've moved me. I'm just, I'm just going to kind of let everything go, all the... If you, love, if you love them that much, I'm just going to kind of let it, let it go. I'm just going to kind of forgive everybody and excuse everything that's ever happened. That's not the cross. No, the word propitiation means he hung on that cross in our place. And on that cross, God poured out on Christ all of his just wrath against your sin and against my sin. Justice is served in propitiation. Jesus didn't somehow get us a pass. He endured all of the justice and wrath of a holy God that we deserved. He bore it and absorbed it and conquered it all. So that God's holiness and God's justice and God's wrath against unholiness and sin was completely satisfied by Christ. This is the word propitiation, and that's why you need to know it. And you see, it was Jesus' death that paid the price for our sins, but it was also his death and his victorious resurrection in which he conquered death that's also the grounds for Satan's ultimate destruction. He no longer has free reign and, and ultimate power, but one day he will be completely defeated. I love Colossians 2 verse 15, that speaking of Christ and the crucifixion, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the, the whole demonic world, the whole, the whole uh, system under Satan's rule. And he said, Christ has 
having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's the picture of the Roman victor's triumphal march. When they would win a battle, they would, they would lead their enemies. They would display them behind them. They would parade through the streets, and, and, and their enemies would be behind them, and it would, it would just be a humiliating time for their enemies. Jesus has done that with Satan. And while Satan's still free to cause trouble and, 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 and interfere in, in this world, he's on a short leash, and his day's coming. Piper again says, Christmas is for freedom. Freedom from the fear of death. Jesus took our nature in Bethlehem to die our death in Jerusalem, all that we might be fearless in our city. You see, forgiven, we are finally indestructible. Do you feel indestructible? Do you live indestructible? Man, we ought to. That's what Christmas is about. I hope, you, I hope you take that away from Christmas Eve at East L.J. Baptist Church. Forgiven, we are finally indestructible. What can anybody do to me if God's got me in the palm of his hand? If I'm totally justified before him, fully accepted in the beloved, what can the world do to me? Kill me? Great. To die is gain. You see, Satan's plan was to destroy God's rule by condemning God's followers in God's own courtroom, but now in Christ. Paul says, in Christ, there is no condemnation for us. Satan's treason, it's been aborted. As the old Reformation hymn says, his rage we can endure for, lo, his doom is sure. The cross runs him through. And he will gasp his last breath before long. Hallelujah. In Revelation chapter 1, John tells us what he saw when he saw Jesus in that, in that, in that vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Jason, he will reign forevermore because he's risen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Do you understand that your Savior has the keys to death and Hades? And he's never going to send you there. He's rescued you from that place. He's rescued you from that reality. Will you die physically? Absolutely. Only to enter into more life than you can even imagine for all of eternity. Lastly this morning, Jesus sets us free from the fear of death by his perfect love. He does it through his through the cross and in the resurrection, but, but behind the cross and resurrection is his perfect love. Jesus sets us free from the fear of death by his perfect love. First John 4, verses 16 to 18. John says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Do you know the love of God today? Do you know how he loves you? Do you know it? Do you not just believe it, but do you personally know it and, and relish it? 
in your heart. God is love, John says, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is all gospel talk, isn't it? It's all about the love of God in Christ. It's all about the crucifixion and the resurrection, motivated by the heart of our Father. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. What do you need confidence for the day of judgment for? Well, you're going to be judged. By who? Are y'all tracking? Everybody wait. I know you weren't up late last night waiting for Santa. That's tonight, right? Making sure you didn't miss him, seeing if he eats, actually eats the cookies and all that. Why do you need confidence on the day of judgment? Because you will be judged by holy God. John says this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You see, Jesus sets us free from the fear of death. You know, you know, you know what the fear of judgment is really all about? It's the, it's the fear of eternal death. Because judgment by God is just that, eternal death. Everlasting destruction, the text of Scripture says. But we who know the love of God have been given confidence for the day of judgment because, this is a powerful phrase, and I hadn't hadn't slowed down enough to, to really consider this in depth until this week. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me just read the whole verse again. By this love perfected with us, excuse me, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. What does that mean? It's talking about Jesus and us. And it's saying that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. But, But what does that mean? Well, in the, in the context of the verse, he's saying, he's talking about the love of God and how it's perfected us and given us confidence for the day of judgment, right? You see that? So what's he saying when he says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What is the relationship of Jesus to God the Father? Is it good? Is there peace? Is there oneness? Is there acceptance? Absolutely. He's the perfect son of God. He's fully accepted by the Father. They have a unity and a oneness we can't even understand. But what John is saying is the same way Jesus relates to God as Father in perfect peace and oneness, so are we in this world. So are you. So am I. In this world. Paul would say in a different place, that's why our hearts by the Holy Spirit cry out, what? Abba, Father. Jesus' Spirit implants in us the same language his own heart uses to communicate with his Father. Abba, Father. Why do we fear? He's our Father. And in this moment, He looks at us with the same love and affection and acceptance as He does His own Son. Why? Because of who you are? (laughs) Because of who I am? No. 
but because of who Christ is and who I am, wrapped and clothed and enveloped in him. Hallelujah. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Has God's love been perfected in you? In other words, do you get it? Do you live like you are like Christ in relation to the Father? Do you live calling him Father, crying out to him, Abba, knowing he loves you, knowing he's accepted you because of Jesus? There is no fear in love. That, that's the test. Do you fear? Do you understand? If, you're, if your life is driven by fear today, you have not embraced the love of God in a way that allows it to drive that fear out. And that is the design by God. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 18. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I didn't make that up. There it is right there. Why do we fear? Because ultimately we think somehow God is going to get us. That it's not going to be okay with him. That we're not going to be accepted by him. That we've gone too far for him to get over whatever we've done. That we just use the terms father and, and children. And, 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 but at the end of the day, when it all comes down, we're really not family. We're really not loved. We're really not accepted. We're really not even as Jesus is in relation to him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Jesus sets us free by the, from the fear of death by his perfect love. You see, real Christmas cheer, <laughs> the real thing is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with unending joy by his grace. We referred to Romans 8 earlier, but here it is in, in, in a couple verses, more, not, just, not just verse 1. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? How's that possible, Paul? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. That is our flesh. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is our sinfulness. What it was weak to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin. Who sinned? Yours. Who sinned? Mine in the flesh. Whose flesh? Jesus. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. He did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's Paul saying? There's no condemnation for you because God made Jesus your substitute and he did for you in Jesus and on that cross and through the resurrection what you could never do. And you don't live in this world on the basis of the flesh or the law. It's not about you standing on your own two feet before a holy God. It's about you living in the Spirit. It's about you standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and relating to God the Father only and always in Jesus Christ. And there, 
there is never and never will be again any condemnation toward you because you're in him. Real Christmas cheer is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with unending joy by his grace. Does that not fill your heart with joy to realize all we've been talking about this morning? You got some Christmas cheer now? Some of you look kind of sour when you came in. It's kind of a stressful time, isn't it? It's a bunch to do, right? (laughs) I mean, aren't you glad you showed up for church on Christmas Eve morning? Hallelujah! You can have Christmas now. You see, if Jesus has replaced our greatest fear with unending joy, listen to me, can he not? (laughs) Will he not? Handle all of our lesser fears. I'm not minimizing those things. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make light of your pain and your difficulties and your struggles or mine. But what I'm saying is if God's got the big one and we've already seen he did, he, he, it's handled. The fear of death, the fear of judgment, it's, it's, it's done. No condemnation. Freed in love. Can he not, will he not? handle all our lesser fears, he will, because in Romans 8, verse 32, he says this, he who did, Paul speaking, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, by implication meaning for our eternal and everlasting salvation, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Does that mean that's, is, 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 is Paul saying, blank check, you just, you just, you just rub the, uh, you just rub the, the bottle and the genie pops out and he gives you whatever you want? No. What he's saying there is, if he handles the biggest fear, the worst fear, don't worry, he's got every other fear that you can imagine that you have. And he'll give you everything you need. In another place, Peter says, for life and godliness. And that certainly includes all of our lesser fears, all of our anxieties, all of our worries. But let's take it one step further. Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How could he say that? Well, you see, he understood what it was to have real Christmas cheer where Jesus replaced his worst fear with unending joy by grace. He lived indestructible. What can man do to me? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Piper says, if death is no longer a fear, we're really free. Free to take any risk under the sun for Christ and for love. You see, when fear's taken care of, if perfect love in you has driven out fear, listen, there's nothing that you can't attempt for Jesus if he calls you to it. Phew, Chad, you're making me nervous now. It's getting a little risky now, yep. Absolutely. You know what? I figure you better live till you die. There's a lot of dead people still living, right? You quit, quit living a long time ago. There's a lot of believers that quit, quit living for Christ a long time ago. Fear is reigning in your heart in this church today for some of you. And you're dead. You're just a dead man walking. You're wasting your life because you're not risking anything for Jesus. 
What risk is God calling you to make for the glory of Jesus this Christmas? Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12. See this, please. Just close your eyes a minute and listen to these words and see the picture. John says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been hurled down. Who was that? That was the devil we talked about that Jesus came to defeat. They, that is us as believers, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How? How do you live like that? Is that real or is that just revelation stuff? Can you live like that? Can I actually expect to be that way in my life? Yes. Because perfect love drives out fear. And if there's fear, then it just proves I've not been perfected in love because fear is about punishment. And I don't get there's not any more of that for me in Christ. But these people got it. They understood that the one who would accuse them before God and say, Oh, look at, look at Joey. And Joey's hearing the accusations of the enemy. Oh, God, look at, look at Joey and how, how vile he is. How he keeps doing that same sin over and over again. Sorry, brother. I knew I could get away with picking on you. <laughs> you know, if you hear... If you heard the accuser talking to God like that, that gets you down, wouldn't it? You know what we do when we start hearing those lies? We start thinking, yeah, that's right, God. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. I, I got it. We, we can't be okay. We, we can't be in good fellowship. We can't be at peace. There's not forgiveness for this because it's the 125th time I've done it <laughs> this week. <laughs> right? But you see, they understood. It's not true. And the accuser's been thrown down. He's been dethroned. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. There's the cross and the resurrection, remember? Therein is the love of God. And by the word of their testimony. What is that all about? Is, is, is John in, in this loud voice from heaven... The voice of God? Is God saying here that there's power in the word of your testimony? He absolutely is. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's no magic in, in a string of words. Are you with me? It's not, a, it's not a charm. It's not a magic formula. But what he's saying is this. If you really understand what the blood of Jesus is all about and what it means to you and you confess it, you stand on it, you embrace it, and have his love perfected in your heart, then there's power in that. That's how you get 
the Christmas cheer. (laughs) That's how you have this kind of boldness. That's how you then don't love your your life so much as to shrink from death when Jesus may require a martyr's death or persecution or opposition or whatever it is. Because you know that whatever they do to you, they can't ultimately do anything to you. And then even if you die physically, you will immediately be enjoying more pleasure and satisfaction and joy than you've yet to know in this life. Therefore, John goes on, or the the voice of God, Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice, the accuser's been thrown down, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. It's going to be rough on earth for those who don't embrace Christ for a while, but at the end, the enemy loses forever. Our worst fear has been replaced with unending, unstoppable, inextinguishable joy and boldness. Whatever the risk God is calling you to take, go for it. For Jesus' glory, go for it. Your enemy's defeated. You, until he says so, are indestructible in this world. To glorify the name of Christ among the nations until he comes or until he takes you home. Isaiah 25, verse 8, is a prophecy that looked ahead to the first advent of Jesus. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Are you rejoicing this morning? with real Christmas cheer that moves you out in unending joy and makes you indestructible without fear in this world before your Father and the world that needs to hear about Him. Take time later to read Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. That passage tells us that Simeon, you remember the old man that was hanging around the temple? Simeon had been waiting for his Savior God to come. He call, the text says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. God's salvation in the person of Messiah, which is what Simeon called baby Jesus at eight days old in the temple courts. And after Simeon gives his discourse on who this baby is and praises God for letting him live to see his birth and see his, his salvation in the flesh... In Luke, 20, in Luke 2, verse 33, it says, And his father and mother, Jesus' father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What what was Simeon saying to Mary and Joseph? Your boy, (laughs) he's the world changer. From this point forward, nobody can be neutral about him. You'll either rise or fall before him. You'll either stand or trip 
over him. You see, when people are confronted with the incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are either consoled, comforted, healed, as they rise up in him and and the grace and the mercy and forgiveness, the salvation that he gives, or they fall and remain in the everlasting despair of the just wrath and judgment of holy God whose love and mercy in the person and work of Jesus they have rejected. But he divides people. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either perfected in love or condemned in your sin. How about you? Is Jesus your consolation, your healing, your comfort? Do you trust him as your only hope and salvation? This morning, do you know freedom from the worst of life's fears? And do you know the unending joy of never having to fear death? Do you know him? If you can't answer, yes, hear me. You're in a place where you have no clue what this day, tomorrow, this season is all about. You're just hanging out, doing some cultural thing. But today can be the day of your salvation. Won't you you trust him? In 1744... Charles Wesley wrote an Advent hymn called Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Listen to these words as we close. Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth Thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. I hope you can understand the words of that hymn better from what we've seen from the Word of God today. Real Christmas cheer is Jesus replacing our greatest fear with unending joy all by His grace. Let's pray together.